Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The joy that fills sports fans' hearts as they loudly sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game is almost palpable. But one thing they may not know is that there is a lightning threat. We've seen the images of lightning bolts race across the sky as fans hunker down in their seats, and this reminds us how deadly this phenomenon can be. Meteorologist Chris Vygaski, who is the lightning application manager at Vaisala, has dug through the data and found some shocking statistics for some of the league's most popular stadiums. We'll break down who's at risk for lightning and discuss how his research is being used to improve Major League Baseball's weather safety policies. Get your peanuts and let's join the discussion. Chris, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is really an interesting one. But before we get to all the lightning stuff, I've got to ask you what I ask every Weather Geeks guest. How'd you become a Weather Geek? You know, it's, it's a story that has been told time and time again by guests and actually by my, my parents as well. It started as a fear of storms. So I remember being you know three or four years old and a tornado racing past my school and we were all hunkered down in the in the hallway as the, the severe storm went by. And you know, from there I was afraid of storms. So my parents started getting me a bunch of books to read about weather and you know that helped to alleviate the fear. And now you know, I just can't get enough of lightning. So so it's a childhood experience that really uh, shaped your interest in weather. And I think that's the story for many of us. How'd you come to work at Vaisla, which is one of the best known companies within meteorology? Uh, tell us a little bit about the company and how you uh, ended up there. Yeah, so you know, Vaisla is really well known for their weather instruments. And you know, we measure anything from the surface of the earth up to the stratosphere. Um, and we even go beyond. So there's actually some uh, sensors on the Mars rovers now that have kind of created their own weather network on an entirely different planet. So uh, that, that's always really exciting. And it's nice to, to see uh, Perseverance make a, a safe landing in Mars just uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, so as I was finishing up with, with school, I was looking for you know a, a good job to, to work in, in the weather field. And I was applying to a lot of different places. You know, broadcast and you know, weather service and I saw this opportunity at, at Vaisala who manufactures really great weather instruments. Meteorological measurements is one of my favorite courses in college. Uh, so I, I took a chance and I applied there. Uh, I got a an offer right as I was graduating. Um, so I took my diploma, hopped in the car and moved out to Colorado to, to start working at Vaisala. So I've been there for uh, about six and a half years now. Right. And I think I've even reached out to you perhaps in the past because we have some work that we've wanted some of your lightning data uh, for, for some of our students at the University of Georgia talking with Chris Vygaski of Vaisala about all things lightning today. So 
I'm really looking forward to this because that's actually been a pet peeve of mine when I see people sitting in baseball and football stadiums when there's a lightning today and they just kind of go home sitting around, but then it starts raining and they dart out of the place. Uh, you know, it's interesting. They don't want to get wet, but they don't mind getting struck by lightning. I, I, it seems at least I don't I can't say that that's the case for everyone that does that. But I think it's this perception somehow that they're they're safe. And so I really want to get into that but before we do. Let's geek out on lightning. What is lightning? Why does it happen? And tell us something that really fascinates you about it. Yeah, so the thing I like to tell everybody is, and it especially happens to me, it's been happening to me all winter. If you're walking around your house and you touch your your friend, your wife, your doorknob, the light switch, and you get that static shock, lightning is just a very, very large uh, version of that static shock. Uh, so you know, lightning is an electrical discharge in the atmosphere. And what happens is you have raindrops, snowflakes, grapple, little ice pellets in clouds that are all colliding against each other. And when that happens, they're creating a static charge inside the cloud. When that charge builds up enough, then you can get those connections between positive and negative uh, sections of the cloud. And, th- and that connection is what we know as lightning. So lightning happens everywhere on the planet. Uh, we've been detected lightning within 50 miles of the North Pole a couple of years ago. Uh, and it happens billions of times every year. So uh, it's a, a major uh, safety risk, and it's a, a probably one of the most common weather phenomena in uh, the entire world. Yeah, it's uh, it's one that I think people sort of, it's fascinating. As a kid, I think many of us, and when there are thunderstorms around, I think many of us were scared of the thunder because the thunder is caused by the lightning with this rapid expansion, heating of the air and creating this compressional sound wave. And I think that's what's scary. But, you know, as we grew to be adults, it's the lightning that's really the most dangerous uh, aspect of those two. I mean, do you have any fascinating statistics about lightning in terms of how hot it gets or uh, the most sustained light. I mean, I, I, you work with lightning, so I, I, I'm sure you've got some fascinating numbers in your head that you can share with us. Oh yeah, there's. I mean, there's uh, so so much information we collect about lightning, and you know, one of the big ones is that lightning for that you know those microseconds that lightning is around, it heats up the air to five times the surface of the sun. So you know, thirty thousand degrees Celsius, fifty thousand degrees Fahrenheit, something. In there, so that I mean that's extremely extremely hot, but you know, billions of events every year. I mean that's a that's a big number. That's an exciting number. Um, you know, lightning. Some of the the world records are lightning uh, lasting for a single flash over seven seconds, traveling for hundreds of kilometers. Uh, it, and there's just some really big big numbers that that come out of lightning. One that that might you know really be something that is easy for listeners to understand is your electrical outlet is 15 amps on average. Lightning is measured in thousands of amps. So you know, the electrical socket that you have in your house, it's going to shock you pretty good if you stick a, a fork into it. But if you're hit by lightning, there's a lot more current running through it. 
Yeah, we're talking with Chris Pagaski of Vaisla about lightning. And one other thing that we want to share for our Weather Geeks and listeners is lightning is not spelled with an E, at least this version of lightning. But we see that quite a bit. Uh, I know that my good friend James Spann down there in Alabama, that's one of his pet peeves. But when you're talking about lightning in a storm, it's not spelled with an E. Um, now, interestingly enough, you all at Vaisla have a, have a well-known and well-established lightning detection network. Um, there are also now lightning detection systems on satellites, such as the GLM, uh, the lightning mapper aboard the uh, GOES satellite. Tell us a little bit about just how you go about measuring lightning. I mean, it, it, you know, people may not have a sense of how that happens. Yeah, so when lightning occurs, that stroke of lightning that you see, or what a lot of people think of as a lightning bolt, it acts as a giant antenna in the atmosphere and it sends out radio waves at the speed of light all the way around the world. And there are strategically placed sensors uh, in the United States and all around the world that Vaisala has installed that are listening for those radio waves. And when the radio waves hit uh, those sensors, we look at the time that the radio wave hit the sensor and the direction that the radio wave came from, and we can geolocate pinpoint uh, to within about a football field across the United States where that lightning occurred. Um, so that is uh, an extremely accurate way of, of detecting where lightning happened and when it happened is by listening for those radio waves that lightning produces. And how is that related to you? Or is that the same as spherics? That's, I mean, you, you may have, this, I've, I've written about spherics before. When you talk about these radio waves, I mean, these are, we don't, these aren't audible radio waves, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's spherics. You know, some people talk about spherics. Um, I, I talk, break it down and talk about the electro uh, waves and then the magnetic waves. So it's a combination of electromagnetic uh, energy that comes out of the, the lightning. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're geeking out on Weather Geeks with uh, Chris Pagaski of Isla. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And, you know, Chris is, you know, uh, like me, uh, clearly a weather geek and has done some really interesting things. But I'm suspecting he's probably a sports fan, too. Uh, you can't see the video, but I do. And so I believe there's a Detroit Tigers logo on the shirt that he's wearing. Uh, and so we live in Atlanta Braves country here. So one of the things that I know Chris has done is he has looked at this idea of lightning occurrence at baseball stadiums. What what motivated you to do that? Yeah, you're you're very correct. I am a I am a sports fan. I've got the, the Detroit Tigers shirt on, my my ball and gloves right behind me. Uh, I've got a picture of Old Tiger Stadium hanging up in my house as well. Uh, so, you know, when baseball is you know the the premier outdoor sport, it's America's pastime. I grew up going to baseball games. I still go to baseball games. You know, we've we've skipped out on work a couple of times to go see an afternoon <laughs> game every once in a while. 
And uh, here in Colorado, you, you have a great view all around you and you can see storms move in. But you know, sometimes you know, if I'm not going to a game, I'll just be sitting on the couch watching, uh, watching a baseball game and you see lightning around and you see the game still going on. And that really kind of came to a head uh, in the summer last year when the first game back after, after the COVID delays was uh, a Washington Nationals game. It was televised. Everybody was watching it because, you know, America is coming back. We're starting to get back to normal with baseball. And there was so much lightning around the stadium. And it was occurring within miles of the stadium, within one mile, two miles of the stadium. And they're still playing the game for 30 minutes before they delay it because rain started falling. So I really wanted to kind of get an idea of just how big of a threat lightning is to baseball games. Yeah, so that's what sort of sets you down this course. You know, I've, I've written about this in the past as it relates to, you know, sports events, football games, baseball and so forth. But maybe you can update me because my my understanding may, have, may be a bit out of date. What are the policies for lightning? I My my understanding is that once lightning is detected within a certain um, range of the, the facility, uh, there are delays up to 30 minutes or so and, and until... Uh, uh, the lightning clears the area, but give us the sort of details of your understanding of what the lightning policies are for sports. And I know it may slightly vary for some sports, but I think it's pretty similar. Yeah, it, it and it does vary from sport to sport. College football and, and professional football, they have very similar rules. If lightning is within eight miles, then the game is delayed uh, for 30 minutes after the last lightning within that, that boundary. Uh, Major League Baseball, they have um, and have finally put into the, the rule book uh, lightning as a, as one of the reasons to, to delay a game. Um, but prior to uh, last year when they put lightning into the rule book, it was on the umpire in, uh, in charge of so the chief umpire to call the game. Uh, so it was up to him to decide when the weather was bad enough to delay a game. But now um, if professional teams have a lightning safety or weather safety plan in place before the start of the season, the team can then delay a game uh, prior to uh, the umpire actually calling. Oh, that's, that, that is interesting. I didn't realize that had been, been the case. So let's uh, dive in. I mean, what, what are some of the things you found in your study? Uh, almost every stadium had lightning within eight miles. and uh, only three did not. Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, San Diego Padres, and the Oakland Athletics. So all, all out on the West Coast where lightning is a lot less frequent than the rest of the country, but almost every team uh, did have games with it that had lightning within eight miles of the, of the ballpark. And I use that eight miles uh, to kind of go along with the, uh, the, you know, the standards that have been set by some other sports organizations. And uh, some teams, you know, it was only just a game or two, but sometimes it was up to a, a quarter of their games had 
lightning uh, within eight miles of the ballpark. Well, who, who, who are the worst offenders? I can imagine. Let me just see if I can take a guess. Weather Geeks listeners, see if you can, in your mind, formulate where you think the stadiums are. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if the, the, even though it's an indoor stadium, and I don't know if you considered that actually, because I, you know, I would immediately think about the, the, the team in Florida and Tampa area, St. Pete, but that certainly is an indoor stadium because I've been to a game there. Uh, but what what were what were the what were the West Coast culprits? Yeah, so I, I, I did look at uh, every team, um, and I didn't consider whether it's an indoor or outdoor uh, venue because people still have to walk in from the from the parking lot to get into the game, or or as they're leaving the game. And you know, there have been instances where people have been injured as they were leaving a, a game because of lightning. Uh, but you know the the top five uh, for the number of lightning games were Miami Marlins uh, with 80 over a four-year period. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays with 78. Houston Astros uh, with 51. Uh, my now hometown Colorado Rockies with 49 games. And uh, your Atlanta Braves had 46 lightning games over over a four-year period. Yeah, that's and that, that's certainly not, not surprising if you look at some of the most sort of convectively active places in the U.S., Florida, with its sort of sort of mix of sea breeze fronts and outflow boundaries and convergent zones. I mean, Florida, is, Central Florida has been known as the lightning capital of the United States. Um, and I, I know having done some of my research in that area as a graduate student myself, that certainly resonates with me. And then, of course, Houston, Texas as well is not not surprising in Atlanta. I'm a little surprised with Colorado. What, what do you, you think is going on there meteorologically? You know, in in the spring and summer months in Colorado, you get a lot of heating uh, along the the front range of the Rockies, and that can create convection. Um, and Denver isn't too far off of the front range, so when those storms start uh, forming right on the front edge of the, the mountains and then moving out onto the plains, it's very easy for storms to get within eight miles of Coors Field. Which, uh, well, I guess you sort of mentioned that, uh, that the stadiums there in, in L.A. and San Diego and Oakland uh, did not have as much because I was going to ask, other than California, where are some pretty lightning safe stadiums outside of the state of California? Uh, uh, you know, uh, Fenway Park, they only had 10 lightning games. Uh, and uh, my hometown Tigers uh, only had 19. Um, and then uh, the Chicago Cubs with 18 games. So. Uh, uh, again, it's a influence of cool water, uh, you know, with Lake Michigan, uh, the Detroit River, and uh, the Atlantic Ocean for the Boston Red Sox. So uh, that that helps to moderate the atmosphere and prevents a lot of thunderstorm activity in, in those lake, uh, locations. And I'm, I'm I'm particularly interested in this study because my wife's a huge baseball fan as well, and we've been doing the go to a game in every stadium in the U.S. I think we're up to 20. We were uh, actually a couple of years ago at a, at a game in, in Denver, and we have not gotten to Tiger Stadium yet, so that's still on our list. Uh, but we have certainly been to some stadiums in the Midwest, so I'm keeping close tabs on the study for selfish reasons <laughs> as well. But why do you think, uh, this is a question that our producers uh, wanted me to ask, why do you think that people are a little less sort of, I guess, alert or seemingly less concerned about lightning when they're in these environments. Uh, as I mentioned, you'll often see people sitting there as there's lightning flashing all around and only get yeah. up and leave when it starts raining. W- what do you, what's the psychology of that or the sociology of that in your opinion? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that is the one of the big challenges in the lightning safety community, and something that you know, we're we're looking at it is uh, the National Lightning Safety Council, which I'm also a member of. Is why do people only go to seek shelter when it starts raining? And you know, if if you think about it, you know, lightning. You see lightning, and and it's always happening over there. It's always happening over there. It's not right here, right where you are. And you know, you've you've seen it with baseball games, and you've seen lightning crack right over the stadium, and you know it's within you know a quarter mile of the stadium, and the baseball players all duck because the the thunder is almost instantaneous. And you know, at that point, that's when people start getting nervous, and they say, "Okay, now it's really a threat," because it, I mean, it was a flash and a bang right at the same time. But other than that, if it's just lightning off in the distance, they're they're not thinking, "Okay, it's." really a hazard it's only when you start getting rain that you're like okay now the storm is really here so you know there's there's a lot of that at, at play but what people need to understand is that lightning doesn't just happen right under where the rain is falling lightning can happen eight to ten miles away from where the precipitation is so anytime you can hear thunder it's a you know, it's a, a signal to start heading into a, a lightning safe place so we're talking with Chris Vygaski from Vaisla about his fascinating study of lightning at baseball stadiums. Uh, any other interesting trends or findings other than the most lightning active stadiums or the least lightning active stadiums? Anything else that caught your eye in the study you can share? Uh, I, I didn't look at uh, when games were called or things like that. Finding the uh, you know, rain delays is a very difficult thing to do. So, you know, it would be something that I'd like to expand on more. Um, some colleagues of mine have done some similar studies with college football games um, to to see when the lightning occurred, to when the game was delayed, and then when it when it started up again. Um, so, it, it's it, uh, it, like you said, it's a fascinating topic. It's one that doesn't necessarily have an end to it. You know, it can continue on and continue on. So, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, which teams start adding in weather safety and lightning safety plans so that they can take advantage of the the new rule in, in the baseball rule book. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. I'm talking with Chris Kapigaski of Vaisala. And I want to pick up on something you said, because in your methodology, you're using your detection, uh, lightning detection, and you sort of suggested that, and I, this is something I've actually been curious about, do stadiums and teams have their own lightning detection equipment, or are they contracting to some service, or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, there's, there are a lot of uh, teams that do contract out with uh, weather consultants to provide lightning information. Um, and, you know, the Minnesota Twins actually have a, a meteorologist in the ballpark during the game. So uh, you know, teams are seeing lightning as a threat and weather as a threat, which is, you know, it's encouraging. Um, now it just needs to be codified into a an actual rule or an actual plan that they have that they filed with the, the commissioner's office to say, okay, if lightning does get within eight miles of our park, we're going to delay the game. What what about, and you mentioned, and this is, I guess, the great example, because you mentioned in your study that Miami was the most lightning active stadium, but I know they also have a retractable roof. 
how does that, what, what, what is the, from your knowledge, and you may not know the individual operating procedures of each team, but are there sort of, this, what you do or your findings, do you think they can influence people's or teams' decisions in terms of when they close the roof, when they cancel or postpone the game? Because I'm trying to, in my head, get around who, who makes the decisions. Is it the team? Is the umpires? Is it MLB? It sounds like there are a lot of cooks in the, in the kitchen here. Yeah, so there are a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Once officially, once the the lineup card is handed in, MLB uh, the umpire is is in charge of the game from the, from then on. Um, but as I said, the the rule now states that if there's a weather safety or lightning safety plan in place, nothing would then prevent the team from calling a, a game because of lightning. Uh, so, you know, I am not familiar with how the different teams decide whether to open or close the roof, but you know, it, having a quality source of lightning information and a meteorologist there to, to provide weather information could help those teams then decide in advance of the game or even during the game, depending on how long it takes to open or close the roof. Uh, do we you know, postpone the game? Do we delay the game? Do we cancel it? Um, and you know, if you're, Watching social media, you see a lot of that conversation going on with sports and weather fans saying, "Okay, there's storms moving in. Well, let's do. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing doing that?" So there's, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, even during the games itself. I, I'm going to go on record right here in this podcast and say I think all sports organizations that are operating in outdoor venues should have some type of meteorologist either on staff or on contract. Uh, I'm just going to kind of make that that statement here, and I and I, I know that many do, but uh, you know I think about a, a case with the Marlins a few years ago. They were opening their brand new stadium with a retractable roof, and one of their, I, I believe I read in the paper, one of their sort of staff members was watching his weather app or her at weather app. I don't even know if it was him or her, and made a decision not to close the roof because according to his meteorological interpretation, things are going to be fine. They ended up in a rain delay when they could have just closed the roof. So, uh, you know, there's some subtleties to meteorology that I, I know that we're in an era of what I call atmospheric, atmospheric scientists and social meteorologists. But there are some nuances that really require a professional eye on, on some of these things, particularly when you're dealing with people's safety uh, and so forth. Uh, have you engaged or interacted with any Major League Baseball teams based on your study? Um, I haven't yet. Um, I. You know, I, I hope as a, as a member of the, the Lightning Safety Council and as a, a concerned meteorologist who's really passionate about keeping people safe from lightning and from severe weather, that somebody will you know, hear some of the work that we've been doing on lightning safety and, and how lightning can impact uh, professional sports games, and that they do reach out to uh, you know, get some more information, see what they can do to, to be better prepared. Yeah, I think that this this um, podcast will hopefully help with that. And I think there's some other ways that um, I, I will talk to you about, about ways that we can probably get your information out there even more. Um, are any other exciting projects? Are you going to do this for college football or football or any other things? Or what's what's cooking for you next? Yeah, you know, uh, like I said, I have a couple of colleagues, Ron Holly and uh, Katie Flanagan. Um, Katie Flanagan's an athletics trainer at Eastern Carolina University, and they've done study on uh, football games um, and that that's uh, published online so if somebody's interested they can look up college football lightning and, and get information on that 
I, as a as Lightning Applications Manager, I am always looking for new applications of Lightning data. And, you know, beyond the sports things, I'm also looking at Lightning in uh, volcanoes and Lightning in tropical cyclones, Lightning in severe thunderstorms, and coming up with better ways to use that data to help meteorologists, geologists, and others make better decisions using Lightning information. Something that just came to mind as you were talking about all of these different sort of Lightning sort of environments that you look at. Um, and I think you mentioned this earlier, but I didn't sort of hear how it falls into your methodology for the stadium study. Are you primarily focused on cloud to ground lightning or are you using cloud to ground and cloud to cloud? Yeah, I in, in my study, I looked at total lightning. So in cloud and cloud to ground lightning, um, because anytime there's lightning in a cloud, it could just as easily come and hit the ground. Yeah. Um, as long as there's that electric charge in the atmosphere, there's that risk of cloud to ground lightning, which is, you know, the lightning we're most concerned with since that's going to injure or kill people or damage properties. Which, again, I'm going to take host privileges here for a geek out moment um, because lightning's fascinating to people. And I'm, I'm a meteorologist like you, so I, I know that this exists. But I bet many weather geeks listeners may not know that there's something called negative lightning and positive lightning. Uh, can you geek out a little bit and sort of explain the difference for those listeners between negative and positive lightning? And I understand, you know, positive lightning can often be associated with this out of the blue or clear sky lightning as well. So just talk through some of that, because I, I think in some cases, those positive lightning occurrences, those blue sky lightning are more dangerous to people. Yeah, it, and you're, you're absolutely right. Since, you know, positive lightning tends to, to come out of the top of the storm and it can get, you know, further away from the storm, it, it could be more dangerous since it does cause those bolts uh, from the blue. So, you know, when you get electric charge in, in clouds, you get positive charges, you get negative charges. Negative charges tend to concentrate around the, the base of the cloud. Um, and so when uh, a cloud to ground uh, event happens, it's usually negative charge. So negative current is flowing from the, the lightning and negative charge is flowing from the cloud to the ground. Positive is just the opposite. It's positive charge flowing from the cloud to the ground. Um, so <clears throat> they, they occur in different parts of the storm. Uh, typically positive start in the top and negative start in the bottom. But you do have uh, cases where the polarities in the clouds are flipped and the, you know, positive uh, lightning actually occurs from the bottom of the clouds. You get more frequent positive lightning because of that. Yeah, this is, we're talking with Chris Vygasky of Vaisla. Really fascinating discussion today. Chris, where can people, I know you're on social media because I've seen you out there. Where can people follow you on social media and Vaisla and find out more about your exciting projects? Yeah, uh, I'm at Colorado Weatherman, at CO Weatherman on Twitter. And I'm always posting a lot of interesting lightning things. I'm looking at lightning pretty much the entire day from 6 a.m. when I wake up to 10 a.m. when I go to, or 10 p.m. when I go to bed. Um, and we post a lot of blogs on our website, Vaisala.com. Um, I just recently posted one about an aircraft triggering lightning in Alaska, and it was the only lightning around for 3,000 kilometers. Uh, so uh, you can follow Vaisala uh, as well at, at Vaisala Group, and we share a lot of interesting information there as well. And we may be reaching out to you. Shout out to Jeffrey Burke, J.D. Burke, who's one of my graduate students at the University of Georgia, who's just starting a project with me where he's exploring uh, lightning around cities and sort of urban lightning relationships and spatial distributions and doing some machine learning. So 
Uh, we're looking at data sets right now. And so uh, your name has definitely come up. So you might get a call from us or an email from us at some point. So shout out to JD there, a little personal plug to the UGA uh, community. Uh, Chris, this has been really an awesome discussion. But before we get out of here, I have to do what I do at the end of every podcast. And it's our geek of the week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Serena Arnold. Serena is a meteorologist and now author after publishing her first children's book called The Weather Story. Nice. Uh, she understands the importance of educating children about the weather so they're not afraid. And certainly lightning and thunder is certainly something that uh, causes fear. She certainly has experience in this area as she saw her first tornado at age five. And that experience is actually what inspired her to become a meteorologist. One of her most memorable experiences was standing in 100 plus mile per hour winds on top of Mount Washington, where she has served as a meteorologist. What a great story. If you want to be like, be like Serena, <laughs> I see what they did there. Uh, you can be a Geek of the Week, too, by visiting our Twitter or social media. Now, as far as Serena, you can follow her at W-X-C-Y-R-E-N-A. Serena, that's an awesome story, and congratulations. And Chris, Thank you so much. This has really been one of the more interesting weather geeks. They're all interesting to me, but, you know, I kind of like to geek out and lightning fascinates me. And some of these issues have really been at the forefront of some of my thinking as well. And shout out to the American Meteorological Society, because I know they've, they've been putting out some statements recently on safety and, and outdoor venues and sports venues as well, and even trying to update some lightning policies. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And this is Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time on the Weather Geek.